Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. Post a job today at LinkedIn.com/fool and get fifty dollars off your first job post. It's Wednesday, June twelfth. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Seth Jason. Thanks for being here. I'm in my full uh, "Don't run me over" colors with my <laughs> greasy, sweaty guy who biked in uh, look. So. For those of you who can't see me, uh, look for the video. Yeah, that's that's almost ever. This is yeah. This is when the people are like, "No, we're happy that it's an audio podcast. <laughs> we're thrilled. We don't need we don't need to see you in the bright orange biking shirt." I don't even have a handsome voice either. <laughs> yeah, you got a good voice. Nice speaking voice. Let's move along. Um, we've got uh, we got a bunch of news, and we're gonna we're gonna preview some earnings that are coming after the closing bell. Let's start with Dave and Buster's though, because first quarter profits came in lower than expected. And that's actually the first time in five years that's happened for them. Shares of Dave and Buster's are down more than twenty percent this morning. I know they lowered guidance. How much did they lower it? I mean, they didn't. They didn't miss by some it enormous wasn't, it amount. Wasn't, it wasn't a whole much that full year guidance didn't. They missed by a penny or something. But yeah. people are freaking out. I think once you've set up the expectation that you're going to do better than than people expect all the time, then the minute you don't. Uh, all heck breaks loose. Hey, I own a stock that's done fifty percent or something. Anyway, it's a very clever tech company. So, if you really want to know how to lose money, you come to me. Twenty, twenty <laughs> some percent in a day, in a day or a week, nothing. But um, Dave and Buster's to me is one of those businesses. It seems odd to me that it sort of still exists because you, you have so much restaurant competition, and then if you want game and food. I mean, how is everybody not at home getting DoorDash food delivered while they play Apex Legends on their, you know, on their Xbox? Can I answer that? Because you don't always want six of your friends coming over to do that. You, yeah. Sometimes you just want to get out of the house. Yeah, I suppose the comp the comp suggests that the you know it's of a slightly slightly negative flat that uh, people aren't all that excited at least the last quarter or so. They've been getting a little growth over the years. Um, by opening new locations, the margins. I was looking. The margins have been kind of creeping downward for several years now. So this is not my idea of a super awesome opportunity. The free cash flow uh, isn't really there. Uh, so unfortunately, you know, sitting there at a price to earnings ratio of 17 sounds like a bargain today. But I think it might need to be more of a bargain before it's a before it's a real deal. I'm glad you mentioned the comps because that was one of the things that leaped out at me when I was looking at this quarter was that their their comps really aren't that great. The new locations, um, you know, and by definition, for those who are new to this podcast or new to investing, when we talk about comps, same store sales, by definition, those are locations that have been open for at least a year. The new locations. I mean, this this is one of those things that is maybe not a red flag, but maybe it's a pink flag. Not just for Dave and Buster's, but for any whether it's a grocery store, um, just a basic retail operation, uh, or in this case, Dave and Buster's, where it is a little bit of a pink flag. Where you go, wait. So the new locations. There's the initial excitement. Dave and Buster's has opened up in your town or your yeah. city or whatever. It's like, oh, let's go there. But if they can't sustain those people, and I'm wondering how much of the gross margins creeping down has to do with an increased marketing spend, because it does seem like they are doing a lot of promotional stuff. Yeah, well, the margin, I mean, all the margins are on the way down. So, I mean, they're 
food prices were going up for a while, and then we had labor and other costs going up. So, but in a lot of restaurants are, are experiencing this. Some of it's just plain old competition. You have to match uh, prices or in, in some way or another, right, to bring people in the door. Uh, one of, I guess, uh, one of the challenges I would guess exists for Dave and Buster's is, hey, it's a it's a super small location without much stuff in it, right? I mean, no, it's it's not. It's a place where you play stuff. So it's not like cranking out another one of those Chipotle's with the wrought iron uh, furniture made out of you know black pipe uh, from from the the plumbing store. It, it probably costs a little more money to build these locations if they're not paying back so quickly. It, your your financials start to head the other way. So. I think on the plus side, over the next couple of years, Dave & Buster's, to the extent that they're looking to open up new locations, will probably have more options as commercial real estate continues to face some challenges. On the flip side, whenever the conversation turns to, well, we think a recession is coming next year or two, you know, when I think about stocks that are recession-proof, Dave and Buster's is at the other end of the spectrum. This is this is a business that's done well for a bunch of years, but it seems like one of the ultimate discretionary income stocks. Yeah, I guess we'll find out someday. Although predicting recessions has been a bad business to be yes. for a little while. <laughs> yes, it has. Um, so the fact that the stock is at a two and a half year low, you're not looking at this saying, yeah, yeah, buy on this dip. No, yeah, I I got a I got a long history with with. Value finger quotes value stocks like this that continue becoming uh, more and more of a value, but less and less of a value. If you know what I mean. Tesla had its annual shareholder meeting on Tuesday. Uh, shares were up briefly this morning, in part because Elon Musk made comments at the meetings. Um, at the meeting, he said, "Did he say anything other... positive?" Well, I can hardly imagine. You know what? Let's uh, let's be clear. If he's not any CEO who's not saying positive things at their shareholder meeting is doing a bad job of being the CEO. So I don't knock him for that. Um, he said, among other things, it won't be long before we have a 400-mile range car. Yeah. Um, talked about uh, in 2020, Tesla drivers will be able to use self-driving features without intervention. I, it seems like you just look at the stock chart today. There was some initial enthusiasm. The stock was up briefly. It's it's now down a couple percent. Well, the problem if you if you say things that don't turn out to be true often enough. Sometimes people stop believing you. It was more than two years ago that Elon Musk promised us that you'd be able to sleep in your Tesla while it drove across the country, and everyone believed it then. And then, you know, that never happened. And then he kind of dials things back. And then a couple months ago, he dialed things up. He said, for sure, there will be a million robo Tesla robo taxis on the road. You'd be stupid, you know, not to buy any other car. Which is just laughable. I mean, Consumer Reports a couple of weeks later rated autopilot as as dangerous and and more difficult to drive with than just driving yourself because it was so erratic. And now we have uh, a couple months after that, Autonomy Day, uh, which to me was seemed like a, a smokescreen designed entirely to try to shift the sentiment of the uh, the company away from financials and towards you know, hey, we're going to become an Uber competitor. And now, they, now he's sort of walking things back and saying self-driving without user intervention, but also at the same time supervised robo-taxi, which, by the way, like Waymo is doing that right now, and that exists in other forms. And then you know, he just makes these promises that don't match up, that don't line up with the reality of what other self-driving 
car leaders are saying and what they're doing. This is a really difficult task, and it's not just a matter of getting a, a couple uh, hundred thousand or a couple million more miles. There's real diminishing returns for machine learning for doing this, and they have not cracked this nut yet. And Tesla's doing it with more limited hardware than other companies. There's nobody else trying to do it their way, which Tesla true believers would say, well, that just shows what a genius Musk is. I tend to think that if he's the only one doing it this way, and all these other really smart people are saying you probably can't do it that way, that he's probably the one who has it wrong. So, um, a very interesting shareholder meeting. There were some other comments that stood out to me. Tesla shareholders are obsessed with the idea that they're of, of being victims. They love this idea that they're victims of a media conspiracy, which is hilarious because they are the, the beneficiaries of so much media incredulity f for years. I mean, nobody, nobody looked at Musk and said, can you really do all those things? Until recently. And now, of course, they don't like it. Um, I, one of the remarks was something about, you know, it's crazy. The media talks about you as if you're about to go bankrupt. And he says, you know, of course we're not. That's just insane. Except not too long ago, everyone thought they, they would need to do, that, that they were running out of cash. And Musk claimed they weren't. And then after they had a quarter where they got some free cash flow, he came out and said, yeah, we were only a couple weeks away from running out of cash. So they want to have it both ways. It's really nutty. And to me, it's the kind of stock where you, I wouldn't take a real position in it either way. Because on the one hand, you have a, a CEO who's very comfortable saying things that are not true. And you have a lot of other executives leaving the company, probably related to that. On the other hand, you have this rabid shareholder fan base that makes the stock whipsaw, and it's completely detached from fundamentals. It's all about this crazy personality. Uh, not for me. You just reminded me of um, the Alex Gibney documentary uh, that was on HBO. And for, for those who haven't seen it, it's a, it's a fabulous bit of documentary filmmaking um, about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. And one of the things that um, was noteworthy to me in that was the opening of the documentary, there was a, a decent bit of information about Thomas Edison and sort of, you know, Sort of tracing the line of the Silicon Valley fake it till you make it mentality back to Thomas Edison mm -hmm. and saying, you know, Edison did a fair amount of that. Like there's, mm -hmm. you know, and 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 that's that's a tried and true practice that you know didn't didn't start with Elizabeth Holmes. It didn't start with Elon Musk, and you know that that kind of thing goes on. All that being said, they report earnings. Uh, second quarter report is scheduled to come at the end of July. It, it really seems like. On the times when Tesla has come out with like a legitimately encouraging slash great earnings report, a lot of that other stuff just disappears. So, and and by the way, I'm like you. I don't own shares. I would never in a million years short this yeah. stock. I'm on the sidelines just watching all of this play out. It's nutty. And and I just sort of think to myself. Well, you know, no one ever got in trouble for walking up to bat and hitting a home run. And yeah. if they, you know, and if they come out at the end of July and have some blowout quarter, yeah, then well, that then that helps. Well, uh, the but of course the they miracle, actually have to do it. Yeah, but you know, the miracle quarter was it was to a large degree, and it wasn't really spoken about at the time. A, 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 the cash flow quarter was was a artifact of really massaging working capital and calling in some favors, and so you wonder, can they actually keep doing? That. I mean, they raised money following the miracle quarter because they needed it. So this suggested that they couldn't keep doing that. Um, it's not easy to build cars. Um, 
it's not easy to build cars when you also tell everyone you're going to build self-driving electric trucks and, and all of this other stuff. So maybe they pull it off. I really hope the industry goes, but they have a, they have a lot more competition coming from all the other manufacturers, and those manufacturers are not stupid. If you're looking to make a hire for your small business, naturally you want to find the best person for the job, and the odds are that that person is on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers, so LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and what they're looking for. And that means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on a lot more than just a resume. Your LinkedIn job matches are based on skills and background. Of course, of course, you want you want skilled people. Of course, you want skilled people working at your small business. But they also match up on interests, activities, passions. It's definitely worth checking out. So post a job today at LinkedIn.com/fool and get fifty dollars off your first job post. What you do with that fifty dollars? You do whatever you want with that. You can go to Dave and Buster's. Yeah. Go out. You know, have a nice meal. Do whatever you want. Buy buy a share of some stock. Here. Yeah, we got all sorts of ideas for that fifty bucks. We're not here to tell you what to do with that fifty. Send it to us. We're just, you could send it to us. We're just here to tell you you can get the fifty dollars. Go to LinkedIn.com/slash/full terms and conditions apply. Uh, we do not usually cover microcaps on this show, but we're going to make an exception today quickly because Ooh. history demands it. Uh, this morning, news broke that the Street.com has been acquired by the Maven. Which is a business I was unfamiliar with until this morning. Is the Maven uh, a penny stock promotion company? Uh, it sounds like it could be. I, I don't know. It is. Um, it's. It's sort of an umbrella company. It has a bunch of media brands underneath it, including like Ski Magazine and Yoga. No, oh, so it's not a penny drink. stock promotion company. Okay. I don't. I don't think so. Um, but anyway, um, the Maven has acquired thestreet.com. Um, for those of us who are for lack of a better word, old. Um, quick history on thestreet.com, which was uh, started by a couple of people, one of whom was Jim Cramer back in the 1990s. Um, if you've ever watched CNBC, you've probably run across Jim Cramer. And so, thestreet.com has been synonymous with Cramer, who has um, uh, stayed active in that business uh, throughout. And it was 20 years ago last month that thestreet.com went public. And I believe it was within the first week the valuation of the company was $1.7 billion. What did the Maven pay? The Maven paid $16.5 million for That's the street to come. Yes. That's all? That's I would have thought they were worth maybe close to $100 million or something. Yeah, it, is, um, it has been. Um, wow. And, and as I told a couple of people uh, this morning when, when this news broke, uh, it, you go back 20 years, it is hard to overstate. How much the Motley Fool and the Street.com were direct competitors? Uh, how much uh, heat there was on the Motley Fool, and in particular on uh, Tom and David Gardner for not going public, and people in the media writing and other people saying like, oh, "You guys blew it." You know, the Street—they went public. You guys—and um, selling the company for sixteen million next week. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and and here we are, and it is. Um, yeah, it's just sort of. Um, it is both noteworthy and I have to say just a little bit odd to watch how like this this is how it this is how the public life of the street.com has ended. It's just been yeah. it's a little bizarre to me. But. Yeah, you'd have to offer a lot of 16 millions to have anybody to sell this company. Yes. Um, before we wrap up, I mentioned um, Lululemon Athletica is reporting after the closing bell 
Um, this is a stock that's uh, this is a it's business like that the is the only apparel slash retailer that isn't on the crap list these days, right? <laughs> yes, and I think it's Near worth all-time high. It's it's worth it's worth um, recalling that five years ago or so, um, when Nike and Under Armour both started looking at what Lululemon was doing with athletic sort of the and Gap the with and, and, and yep. everybody everybody and, and sort of looking at well they're making and selling yoga pants for a hundred bucks we can make quality yoga pants and sell them for 75 or sixty dollars and and there were people who looked at Lululemon and thought well it's been a nice run but now you're probably in trouble and they've basically just kept on trucking which is odd because I came into it about that time but it was clear to me early in Lululemon's Earlier in Lululemon's history, I thought this can't go on. By that time, I thought it could. It was really clear that the brand was really strong. They were doing things a little bit differently. And I came into it uh, with Hidden Gems and then Personal Money, sort of around the time of uh, the see-through pants gate and then the kind of nutty founder telling oh, women yeah. that they were basically too fat to wear Lululemon and then wondering why everybody was upset. And <laughs> and then... And they have just done a great job. Now, oddly, uh, for having been run by somebody who was really a, a, a little bit, uh, seemed like a marginal personality to me, um, and then replaced by a guy who, who was ushered out with uh, very little public comment to uh, sort of on the, in the middle of the Me Too uh, headlines. It appeared that something similar may have happened, but we never really found out what. In the company, over the last uh, couple of years, there were long periods of time where it was running, you might say, on autopilot, but where the executive team, not the cup, not the top-level execs, but the, the sort of, I don't want to call them second string, but the, the next layer down, did an amazing job of keeping this company moving forward, and not just keeping it going, but just batting it out of the park. They've done great. Now, tomorrow, supposedly, if I've read the charts correctly or the tables, they're supposed to earn $0.70 cents on $756 million bucks worth of revenue for the quarter. That's not even the big quarter, right? Um, company trades at about six times revenue, 48 times earnings. But this is a company that has seen margins increase really, really uh, healthy margin increases for years. It's like a 16% free cash flow margin recently, something like 15% net margins trailing 12 months. Those are incredible results, especially at a time when every other apparel company is stinking it up. So, uh, no doubt I've doomed it now, since I own it, and I've praised it so highly. Well, it, it, two of the things I'm going to be watching for in the quarter are, um, what are they doing internationally, and um, how are they growing the men's segment? Because yeah. those are, you know, we say all the time, yes, what Wall Street analysts write and say, and sort of how they measure, yes, that is one data point, but we prefer to look at, well, what is the company saying? What standards, what goals is the company setting for itself? And those are two things that Lululemon has identified as a big priority for them. And so far, they've done a decent job growing both they those have. segments. Yeah, and I, I, again, I wondered, while I owned it, I think, can you really sell something called Lululemon to dudes? Yes. Have you met dudes? <laughs> yes, you can. They're terrible, but apparently there's a certain number of them with a bunch of money, a larger number than I would thought, who are just happy wearing their Lulu stuff. Andy Cross has that Lululemon stuff. I, he's our, you know, he's our boss. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, internationally doing pretty well too. So we'll see tomorrow. Um, trading near an all-time high. If it continues to go up from here, you'll you'll hear me going woohoo wherever you are. Um, if 
anyone uh, takes the LinkedIn uh, promotion and actually sends 50 bucks to you, you could do that and maybe get something to cover up the bright orange shirt you're wearing. I am. I bought. I am so the opposite of Lululemon. I I literally bought. I bought a bunch of bright yellow wicking shirts from this terrible company in uh, in like Arkansas or something because they were cheap. Actually, the quality was decent, but they were two dollars and sixty cents each. And I'm not kidding you. When they showed up at my house, the box was busted open. I had to count everything, and there were footprints on the shirts. <laughs> Well, this look, is this you, is the direction I go. I got I got like more than a dozen shirts for for seventy bucks. The cost of one shirt at Lululemon. I was going to say though, but you know the flip side is um, people aren't walking all over the shirts at Lululemon. You know, you, if if you buy a shirt and it costs basically the equivalent of a cup of coffee, then yeah, the trade off there is you can't complain when there are footprints. All oh, I wasn't. I, I looked at it. I said, "What do you What do you think you're getting for two fifty, dude?" Fair enough. Seth Jason, always good talking to you. Mm -hmm. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.